everyone, and welcome back to How to College for First Gen, our podcast where we get together with fellow first-generation college students to have conversations about their process to, through, and after college. My name is Norma Torres Mendoza, and I am one of the podcast hosts. I am very excited about today's episode because we will have one of my good friends and a mentor and a sponsor of mine, uh, Edgar. And Edgar is actually going to be having a conversation where he talks to us about the difference between what a mentor is, what a coach is, and what a sponsor is. Now, the reason why it's super important that we learn to distinguish between and among these people is because that way you're able to better understand and better analyze and better think about who you might need, what kind of person you might need in order to help you make the next step in your career. So just a quick preview for those of you uh, that might need a refresh. So a coach is usually someone that provides guidance and they help you derive meaning from what is happening around you. A mentor is uh, someone who also listens, but they provide insight and share formal or informal advice and counsel Um, but they might not necessarily be a coach or a sponsor. Instead, they discuss what you might consider options in whatever you're going to do next. And then lastly, a sponsor is usually a leader who's highly regarded and who has influence over different operating circles. Um, This individual is usually helping you and vouch for you in the next step of your career. So with that, that is just a quick preview. Let's go ahead and jump into our conversation with Edgar. Hi, Edgar. I'm super excited to have you on the show today. Um, I'm excited for the audience to hear your story and a little bit about you. So why don't we just begin with that? Just tell us a bit about yourself, where you grew up. Hi, Norma. It's a pleasure, and as always, to to speak with you today. I'm very excited uh, to being on the podcast. As you know, I've been a fan ever since uh, you first told me that you started it, Uh, something that I believe has always been instrumental to to first-generation college students, so I'm very glad to to finally be a guest. Uh, So a little bit about me. Uh, My my story starts in in a rural uh, village in Mexico uh, called Nazas Durango, where I was born back in the 1980s, 1985 to be exact. Can't believe it's been that long. Um, When I was three, though, my parents decided to follow the American dream and migrated to the United States, after which we settled in a small town called Santa Maria, California, made infamous by a major court case in the 90s uh, involving Michael Jackson. So that's my small claim to fame uh, growing up in, in rural California. Um, from then on, it's just been a lot of uh, continuous moving around. We lived in Santa Maria, Bakersfield, small stint in Texas, and then eventually Missouri and Indiana, where I ended up going to college. Uh, I'm a mechanical engineer by training. Uh, it's something I always wanted to be. As a child, I was passionate about cars and knowing nothing about them and not really having a lot of access to working on them. It's, I was just obsessed with, with vehicles and that led me to pursue a career in the automotive industry with Toyota uh, coming out of school. From then on, my life just kind of took a lot of twists and turns. And eventually, I found myself in getting an MBA and consulting where 
where I eventually met you and had a large part to play in our in EY Parthenon's uh, Houston office, which I have since left. And now I am a vice president of growth strategy for a company called Transperfect, working on expanding language solutions and services uh, around the world. So that, in a nutshell, is a, a brief history of me. No small resume here, though, folks. Uh, Editor has done a lot of different things with his life. And today's topic, we're going to talk about the difference between mentors, sponsors, and coaches. But before we dig into that, I would love to hear a little bit about how you first learned that you were a first-generation college student. Well, for me, it's, it's been a little bit different because my parents did go to school, but not in the traditional sense that we would have here, right? They, they went to technical school in Mexico. My mom was actually a teacher. Uh, in fact, my first couple of years of life I spent in the classroom. So I've pretty much, I feel like I've been in school my entire life. I would go with her to rural parts of Mexico where she taught uh, early education. And my dad was a draftsman by, tra- by training, of course. Once they immigrated to the United States, none of that really counted. Uh, we were undocumented immigrants, so their, their career path took a significant turn towards the service sector, uh, specifically in farming. So from that point, I kind of knew early on that uh, the dream of going to college and going to university in the U.S. was, was a unique one in my family. I'm not just first generation for them, but uh, across most of my cousins, most of my other relatives, myself and now my sister are the only two who, who've gone to, to get a both an undergraduate and a graduate education. So was education always prioritized in your family because your mother was a teacher? Or was it a combination of that on top of you seeing education as the pathway forward? What made you believe that this this was the goal. Why, why do it? You know, it's, it's a very fun one. So yes, my mom was a teacher and she always stressed education and, you know, taught me how to read at a very, very early age. Uh, but also, uh, you know, a lot of it was we, we grew up like most first generation immigrants. We grew up very poor, um, you know, back in those days, $20 meant a whole, whole lot to us. And I saw my parents struggle was paying bills and, and just, you know, getting far and, and getting something out of life beyond living day to day. So for me, it was always my my escape out of poverty. And I recognized that very early, you know, I think in elementary school, I already knew that I wanted to go out, go to school so I can get out of the cycle of, of poverty. I was fairly mature for my age. I regularly had to translate for my parents. So I was regularly involved in their day to day. And, and, you know, was dealing with, with adult things that most, most kids don't deal with. So I was exposed to a lot of the harsh realities of life. And uh, during the summer, just due to daycare, I would sometimes go with my, with my parents out into the fields. And me being who I am, I realized early on, it's like, that's not the life that I wanted. A, I'm relatively lazy. B, I, I like to, you know, ponder more than I like to just work. I'm a hard worker, but. I'm also not the kind of person who wants to be outside all day. And so I immediately saw that. And my mom jokingly told me, you know, one of the times that I went that if this isn't the life you want for yourself, you have to go to school. So from then on, it was just a default that I was going to go to college. Um, I was straight A student. I think I got one B my entire 
high school, elementary, middle school career. It was a devastating B. I don't even remember what it was in, but I, it crushed me. But that was essentially just the expectation. It became the norm. Um, luckily, uh, when I was 16, we finally received our permanent residency status. So it was something that the dream of college, while financially maybe was not secure, at least I knew that I could look for scholarships, look for awards, and continue that tradition. And and it's something that I am glad they instilled in me, you know, having a lot of other cousins and relatives who also became immigrants to the United States who did not go to college. I see that our past diverged significantly at that point. Um, and it's something that I, you know, for better or worse, all the hours of studying, all the hours of paying attention in school, and I pretty much had perfect attendance uh, throughout all of my education have really paid off. Yeah, so I want to go exactly there because you said that you have cousins that are also your age and that your paths fundamentally diverge. So love to hear why you think that is. Was it mentors that you had? Was it people that you had in your life? Um, why did those worlds go so differently? I think I remember in one of your earlier podcasts, you had uh, someone, uh, a mother, who's multiple children. I think she had three different kids all go to great schools as all basically the first in their family to do so. And it really stuck a, a chord with me because, I mean, that was essentially when I said it was, it was an expectation that I would go to college. It's putting it very lightly. Like there was no other option for me. Um, the, and both coming down from my, from my mother, especially, but also personally, you know, it's, you can't go get nothing but straight A's for your entire education and then be like, okay, time to go work at a factory, right? Like you kind of have to, once you adopt the, the concept of academia and I'm going to use school and education to get out of you know, where I'm at and, and explore new possibilities, um, that's once you show that, it tells a very compelling story to the people around you. And, and then I'm not saying every teacher I encountered fully supported me because there were plenty who didn't, um, but a lot did. And, you know, I think the first one was probably in, in middle school. Uh, I had an English teacher who really went out of his way to, to promote me. And I feel like he was probably the first coach I've ever had where he took time out of his day to make sure I was doing things, not just to what I thought was a good standard, but to what he thought was a good standard, which was much higher than what I thought I could deliver. Um, and then, so that was probably the first person who really went and went out of his way and, and coached me and guided me. Second being in uh, freshman year of high school, um, you know, money was always an issue. So there's an opportunity to help a teacher uh, who's actually my intro to engineering teacher, um, help remodel his house. This was during the California real estate boom. He was thinking of flipping his home. And so he hired me and another student to, to help him around the house. And, you know, he was a PhD rocket scientist, like an actual rocket scientist, worked on the Saturn V rocket. His wife was a, a literature, literature professor from, you know, who graduated with her master's from, from Stanford. So being around them also helped me really understand what education can do for you late in your career. Right. They were both in their late 40s, early 50s, et cetera. 
and my parents were in the early 20s or mid 20s mid to late 20s so i had those two as clear examples of if you follow their paths this is the kind of person i could be i can own my own home i can hire and mentor other children i can go become a teacher as a hobby because that's essentially what he was doing he was already retired and i can give back to the community um so those two were probably the most pivotal most pivotal at a time where i needed that reinforcing to to focus on education at the time i was very much a student athlete i i was fairly good at, at multiple sports i thought a lot about you know doing various things my my passion has always been more art architecture literature philosophy uh, but because of, of those influences, I decided to pursue more the technical major, so engineering um, as a clear path to, to you know, quote unquote success. Um, and honestly, even today, I, I, I'm still in touch with, with, uh, with the wife that I met and that I work for, Filipino Houses. I still email her regularly. She's in her 70s now. Um, every once in a while we, we send email correspondence because of the influence that she had on my life back back then. No, that that totally makes sense. And if I think back, Edgar, I, I want to say we've done, I don't know, almost 200 episodes, right, of first-gen narratives. And the one thing that stands out to me in the pattern is the importance that people make in other people's lives. And I think if you went back and listened to all of them, you, we all could point out, one or two people that fundamentally changed the route of our lives. And you've already begun going this route, but I don't think we often talk about the kind of roles that these people play and, and, and categorize them, right? And I think the reason why it's important is because if you begin to analyze the actual people in your past, they can help then that can help you understand what you need for your future career. And that is exactly what I, what I want to talk about. So why don't we begin by distinguishing between a coach, which you've already given an example, a mentor, and a sponsor. So let's begin distinguishing that. And then you've already pointed a, an example of a coach. So maybe you can give us now an example of a mentor and another example of a sponsor in your life. Right. And... Um I briefly mentioned this, but while a, while a consultant, I, I had the, the privilege and honor of, of leading EY Parthenon's national sponsorship and development, uh, development group. And it was really an internal group to help build sponsorship and mentorship relationships from within the organization. And during that time, it really helped me to, to really think about what these roles mean, both what they've meant in my own life, but also, you know, reflect on how they've been in my life, but also reflect on how I can set up programs and, and establish uh, what it means for others and, and how it can benefit others. And so this is actually a topic that I'm very familiar with and I'm very passionate about, as you know, uh, which is why I wanted to speak to you about this. But so let's, let's start with, uh, it's, it's somewhat of a hierarchy, right? At the basic level, I would say basic, but it's not basic at all. It's 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 mentorship. Mentorship, I think, is what most people think of when they think of any of these roles. Uh, mentorship is effectively someone who you can you have some amount of trust in, some amount of confidence in that you can go and ask questions, and they will answer your questions. So if I 
want to get into college and I, and I know that you are an expert on how to get into college. I can be like, Hey Norma, let's, can we have a chat? Can you talk to me about college? And you will give me all of your advice, but it's very, um, usually a mentor, someone, you know, it's, it's more, it's closer relationship than just you reading an article, you're reading a book because you're getting it firsthand. But the definition of a mentor is someone who's there to help you when you ask for help, but not necessarily beyond that. Now, this is a role. It doesn't mean that the individual can't serve other roles, but as a role, a mentor is just to give you the advice that you seek. Uh, so it's it's that first level of, of, of support. Above that, then it's not really a, uh, a linear growth, but it's really kind of a triangle. You have sponsors to one side, and coaches to the other. And those are two different roles that are play somewhat of a similar, as far as helping you get ahead. Um, one of the challenges that most first generation students have is a lack of inherent sponsorship. And what do I mean by inherent sponsorship? Well, sponsorship is someone who promotes you, right? So it's more than just gives you advice. They're also putting you out there. They're saying, this individual, Norma, she is amazing. She is smart. She's talented. She's going to go very far, right? That's the difference between a sponsor and a mentor. Mentor just says, hey, Norma, do you have any questions? I can help you. A sponsor then takes that one step further, and they reach out to their network or their organization and say, you need to hire Norma. You need to go above and beyond because she's amazing. Think of it for most people. I mean, they're familiar with sports sponsorships. When Nike sponsored Serena Williams, they didn't just say, here, Serena, have a million dollars. No, they said, here, Serena, we're going to put you on the face of every magazine out there. We're going to tell the world you are the best tennis player out there, right? That's the difference between sponsorship and then just mentorship. If Serena just wanted to know about tennis in general or about getting a commercial deal, she could have gone to anyone. They would have given her some advice and then she would have had to go execute on her own. Sponsor kind of helps take you there. And so that being defined, so what do I mean when I say most first generations don't have inherent sponsorship? Well, when you think about who some, most people's first sponsors are, it's their parents, right? It's somebody who has gone to college and is, has, is an alumni of a particular school, and they're telling the school, you should accept my child because I'm amazing, they're amazing, you're going to benefit from having them there. If not their parent, maybe another family member. And if not another family member, a friend, a coworker, et cetera. So that is the inherent problem with a first-generation college student is that you have nobody in your immediate network, you know, whether your parent, aunt, or uncle, et cetera, who can promote you and sponsor you into the college or once you're in college into your first job, right? There is no oh, my dad got a job at Goldman Sachs, so I'm probably going to get a job at Goldman Sachs kind of situation, which then means we need to go find our sponsors. And what makes a sponsorship tricky is just like in the sports world, if you want a corporate sponsor as an athlete, you have to be an amazingly talented athlete, right? They need to know that they're, they're going to put your name on the magazine. You're going to deliver on the court. Same in, in life, if you want somebody that you don't know inherently to then come and sponsor you, you have to deliver for them. You have to make sure that they can put their brand on you or you on their brand and that they're going to put your name out there and you're not going to let them down, which is a fundamentally very difficult relationship to have 
without a lot of trust, without a lot of, you know, basically relationship building and the trust has to be mutual. Uh, so it's not something where you can just say you over there, I like what you do. Can you be my sponsor? I've seen that happen oftentimes and it almost never works because you first have to establish that mutual trust and understanding and alignment, right? If I want to get into the automotive world, I don't want to go to a banker and be like, can you be my sponsor? They're going to be like, cool. I don't know how I'm going to get you to go work in Formula One, right? You know, it's as a very obvious example. And then you also included another variable there, which is the coach. So then how would you then define the coach as different from the sponsor? And can you be both? You can definitely be both, um, but you don't have to be. And that's one of those things where I learned the real value of coaching later on in my consulting career. Uh, I had what I could describe probably as a lot of mentors and a few sponsors growing up, you know, both within, you know, before college, some during college, some in my first couple roles uh, at work, you know, where people went above and beyond to, to help me. Uh, but coaching, I think, is something even it's similar to sponsorship in that it needs a lot of trust. But at the same time, it's different because just going back to the athlete metaphor, right? The sponsor is the one that says, hey, they're outside of your bubble. They say, you're really good. We're going to put you on this magazine and help you sell and help you make money because it's going to help us look good, help us make money. In the world of corporate finance or corporate business, you know, the very similar things happen. Now, a coach says, you're very good, but you could be better. And these are the very specific things that you need to do to be better. And I'm going to help you be accountable to yourself and to me to be better. And for a lot of first generation anythings, whether it's college students, first generation professionals, first generation athletes, et cetera, especially if you're surrounded in your network, you are the best at what you do in your network. It is very hard for you to look at your flaws and seek to improve them. So in, in the world of professionals, very few people, and this isn't just first generation college students, but very few people at all understand the benefits of having someone who's an independent third party or not, but can be look at them and say, you know, when you give a meeting or when you give a presentation, you do a good job, but here's what you could be doing better. And that is fundamentally where I think too many of us are used to just figuring things out on our own and are, and are also can get into that mindset of, well, that's just who I am. You know, I didn't get a chance to develop sales as a kid because my parents were not in sales. They, they were laborers. And so now as an adult, you know, maybe you struggle with running sales meetings or you struggle with getting pitches and putting yourself out there because that's not something you've ever had to do before. But now it becomes critical to your role. So how do you do it without, um, we all can think of, okay, well, we go to a classroom, Right. But a classroom's general feedback to the group. A coach is really about working with you as an individual uh, on improving, whether it's improving um, yourself from a business perspective, from a personal perspective, that's what their role is. And sometimes a mentor who gives you advice 
can also give you coaching. And sometimes somebody who's sponsoring you can also say, hey, we want, we think you're going to be great and we're going to help you get there. And so that when you get there, we're also, they're promoting you. Uh, so they are different roles, They don't, but they don't have to be. And sometimes it's better that they're not because you can always fire a coach without you know repercussions to your sponsor. But to fire a coach who's also your sponsor means you're also losing out on the benefits of the sponsor. Um, and you see that a lot of times when athletes stagnate and like Tiger Woods, right? Fired his caddy who effectively could be a conservative coach. Uh, some kind of stars fire their coaches all the time because they, certain aspects of their game need improvement. And that's effectively what a coach is. A coach is someone to help you with a very specific need. It could be multiple needs, but you always know exactly what you need. They're going to hold you accountable. So you can also hold yourself accountable. And from my experience, for, for those of us who did not grow, was a lot of abilities to, to learn that second level of skills, professional skills growing up. It's, it's almost instrumental if you want to make it to you know, the C-suite, if you want to make it to the board of directors. You're competing against people who grew up with parents who were C-suite board of directors or senior executives who learned these skills over time. And so not only do they have somebody who can sponsor them to get there, but they've also been learning the skills, watching their parents work, watching, you know, um, to, to take a little bit of a story. One of the things that's always stood out of Bill Gates' story, uh, and, you know, he's very successful CEO, but one of the stories he always tells is of the first time he was at his, his father's job and he and his father fired somebody in the room next door as some as then he got the lessons learned of how you fire someone with dignity, with respect, but also when you have to do it, right? So he got a lot of life lessons as a teenager on how to manage employees that a lot of us first-generation students don't even get the opportunity to learn that lesson until we are far along in our careers. We've somehow made it to management, and now it's the first time we've had to lay someone off or fire someone or you know roll them off of a team. And we've just never encountered that before. So that's the fundamental difference between somebody who has had those exposure, that exposure early on in their life and somebody who is kind of figuring things out on their own without ever having that, that exposure. Okay, so then if I could bring it all together for right now, I think what you are saying is by nature of being first gen anything, a lot of us probably did have mentors growing up, right? We didn't. We didn't know to call them mentors. We didn't know the terminology, but we knew that it was someone who we could go and ask for things because we don't. We didn't know the majority of the answers to anything. And as our career progresses, for many folks, there's this other concept of sponsors, who are people who are basically vouching for you, saying Edgar is amazing, and here's why Edgar deserves this opportunity. And then the coaching, it could happen at any time in your trajectory, but the coaching is more, you're doing some introspective analysis and saying, what can I do to be a better ex, a better practitioner, a better employee, a better parent, a better brother, right? And so in many ways, probably therapists could also be considered coaches there. So I'm interested to hear, you have made a lot of different career choices. Um, You have a 
very indirect trajectory to where you are today from being an engineer. I mean, I would even say from flipping houses, right? Being an engineer, working in cars, um, doing consulting, now being a VP of growth and, and development to now opening up your own business. <laughs> so a little bit of everything. So would love to hear a couple of examples of where mentors, sponsors, or coaches have helped you think through the next step of your life? Yeah, and that's one probably where even I am still not great at seeking advice before I take the leap. I'm still someone who very much will come up with an idea or a desire and make it a goal and execute. And then I use my mentorship and sponsorship and, and coaches along the way to help me realize that goal versus the other way around where I'm asking people, what do you think I should do? And I don't know if that's necessarily a good thing or a bad thing. I do think there are times where I probably would have done this sooner had I asked other people's perspective sooner, but I'm still, you know, going back to the way I grew up, I grew up very much independent because I necessity, I am still very much independent because of habit and I'm not used to, to going out to, to people. But that said, um, when I did encounter coaching and, and take full advantage of coaching, that is probably the pivotal point in my career where I wasn't taking baby steps towards my ultimate goal. Right. Early on in my career, I took a lot of small safe steps to go from one role to the next. And then I used outside things like getting an MBA to credentialize myself to move on to to consulting. And then I used, you know, I stayed in consulting probably way too long for what I wanted to do, which was ultimately to be in, in corporate M&A and then starting my own business. I mean, my ultimate long term goal is to be in the C-suite slash board of directors. Um and to be in a position where I can do that successfully, right? Anybody can call themselves a CEO. I feel like there's a difference between just calling yourself a CEO and being a CEO quality manager, leader, whatever, you know, what name you. It could be a small organization or a large organization. Having those attributes, I think, are fundamentally the same. Late in my EY career, uh, consulting career, was when I had coaching, and that's when I and it was actually my second round of coaching. And that's when I really started to, to use that the same way I use coaching when I was an athlete. It's I knew what I wanted to do. And I, you know, the best thing about being an athlete, just to take a step back is if you have to run a certain pace, you cannot lie to yourself about whether or not you're running that pace, right? You're either do or you don't, you cannot run a six minute mile and say, ah, I mean, it was six fifty, but it's, it's practically the same thing, right? The results speak for themselves. You either win the race or you don't win the race. You either finish top of your group. Or you don't. I played soccer for a lot of my my, my career. Um, you either score a goal and have assists or you don't score a goal and have assists. It, it's a matter of that impact. So you, you can't lie to yourself then. But it's very easy when when the measures measurables are are qualitative to lie to yourself. When you can say, I am a good speaker. I am a good leader and not look at any of the evidence that says whether you are or you're not. You may be an okay leader, 
But when things get tough, you maybe you struggle and you just kind of forget that from your memory, right? So it's very easy to kind of be really good, but not be great at something. And then just to accept it, that you'll never be great at that. What coaching made me realize when I went through coaching was that there were things I was specifically not great at that I wanted to be. And I just before either didn't admit it to myself or I had no idea how to get there. And therefore I just stalled. And what makes coaching very hard is that, especially having a coach that's your sponsor, your mentor, is that very few people like telling the people that they're close to, you know, especially if they see themselves as a mentor, as a sponsor or someone to give them bad news because it can create kind of a friction. This is where it gets really difficult and why third-party coaching is sometimes better because your mentor usually is not going to tell you, Hey man, you are kind of terrible at speaking in public, right? They're going to be, they're going to stop. They're going to give you a soft tells like, Hey, maybe you should work on your speaking a little bit. Right. But they're not going to just straight up say, here's a quantitative measure of your speaking and you're pretty terrible at it. You're far from your goal. But a coach in theory should tell you that coach should be like, Hey, give me a presentation. Oh, by the way, you were off here, 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 and here, and you lost me here. And you said, um, 30 times. It's pretty atrocious. You should, you need, let's work on this together. And that's the difference. So as I finally acknowledge, and it's funny, you mentioned coaching is kind of like therapy. My first kind of, my first three coaching sessions really felt more like therapy sessions because there was a lot for me to unpack from my childhood as to why what I thought was minor and I got, you know, I, I got through as a, as a kid growing up and then it's kind of hurting me as a, as a professional is that lack of inherent confidence, that lack of taking big leaps, a lack of not trusting myself. Um, I was able to work through as my coach where she gave me the tools that I then needed to, to quantify qualitative aspects and to give myself non-biased um, feedback on whether or not I can do something. And it was her coaching and her framework that she gave me uh, that basically has helped me make some of these decisions that I've been making now that are a lot more aggressive than I would have done before. So my decision to leave consulting, I was petrified of leaving consulting because of the status of the security of, you know, I've built a, a good network and I had a lot of amazing people that I was working with. And I was afraid that a lot of my personal growth and brand was tied to the consulting firm's brand and growth. And if I left that, would I be able to do it on my own? She helped me overcome that by basically helping me myself, helping me describe what it is that I am really good at, what it is that I add value, and then owning that so I can both not just convince future employer, but convince myself that I can do it. Um, same thing with the starting, my wife and I are starting a business together. You know, growing up, my parents never owned a business. They've always struggled. They've always been employees. I've also always been an employee. And the thought of being the one responsible also makes has made me you know, very anxious, very afraid that now it all depends on me. But then I, and that's been a combination of recent experience as well as coaching. I look around objectively. I work now with a lot of entrepreneurs whose businesses we acquire 
through part of my work. And, you know, qualitatively, I would say I am better manager, leader, et cetera, than a lot of them. And yet they've managed to grow a business, not because they were great at what they did, but because they did it. And that's one of the things that for me growing up, it's the fear of failure was so high because so much depended on me succeeding to get out of poverty, to help my family grow, et cetera, that I've never been comfortable around failure. And so that whole concept really did require coaching for me to, to begin to overcome. And the biggest thing that I learned from my coach was if, okay, so if failure is a big deal, what can you do to minimize the impact of failure? And that's the approach I've taken now is where if I want to take, you know, it's instead of taking, not taking a big jump, I make sure that I set up a good ramp, right? Before I would have taken a small jump because it looked like too big of a gap. But now I've learned to bake a, build a better ramp or a better bridge so that it, it minimizes my chance of failure, but I'm still getting the distance, you know, that I want to, to accomplish uh, and the growth that I want to accomplish. Cause at this point it's all about personal growth and being able to go back and say, this is what I have built. This is what I have accomplished. And without that coaching, especially without the sponsorship of people kind of showing me yes, you can do this. And look, I'm going to put you in front of people who can help you accomplish that. I, you know, I would still just consider myself an employee in perpetuity, which is not something for me. And for a lot of people who are entrepreneurial in nature, it's not something that they'll ever be happy with is always being an employee. If you could go back and tell your 18-year-old Edgar self anything about sponsorship, mentorship, or coaching, what would you tell your 18-year-old self? So what I would tell 18-year-old me, an 18-year-old me was very arrogant, um, but also very naive. Um, and while very arrogant, was probably more afraid than he would want to admit. Um, you know, the whole world was his oyster, but I know that me as an 18-year-old, I was afraid I wasn't going to graduate college. I was afraid I would go to college and fail and not get a job. Um, and basically take a lot, take a big leap and fall short. Right. That's the narrative of what I've learned now as an adult. So it's really, it's, I did not use sponsors very well. I didn't even use mentors very well. I actually, um, ignored a lot of advice that I was given because I just didn't understand where the advice was coming from. Um, and I was more confrontational back then, more, you know, stubborn, um, and so it would really be to be better about taking advice and be better about trusting myself and take bigger leaps. I, and then ultimately, you know, and I've always told this, I was a successful engineer when I was an engineer, I, I would say I was pretty good at it, but I never loved it. Um, not the way that I wanted to right? not the things that I wanted to do. And I didn't. And which is why I ultimately left engineering. Um, my real passion has always been more on the creative side, more on the arts. And now that I'm in a job that exposes me more to the creative side of the world instead of the technical side of the world, I see that and I really appreciate it more. It probably would have been to focus more on doing what you love better than doing this. Because for me, engineering was safe, right? It's not an easy subject, but it was a safe subject. I knew engineers got paid decent salary, but 
engineers don't become millionaires by being engineers. They they may have been an engineer, but then they became a business person or an inventor or a salesperson or something. And that's how they they really got to a position of power. Very rarely does an engineer get to the top of the food chain uh, just by engineering themselves out of it, right? It's it's something that I didn't understand back then that I wish I would have. And I probably would have set my, my sights higher back then um, and tried just a little further and work better at networking in college and work better at keeping um, in touch with my people who I now recognize were my sponsors back then that I didn't realize they were and use coaches for when I wasn't doing as good as I could have been to really help me um, not fail where I, when I ended up failing and and not uh, really advance certain aspects of my, my career. Well, that was great. Um, we thank you so, so much for being so generous with your time the day after Thanksgiving. Um, we hope that you had a great time with us reflecting upon your mentors, your sponsors, your coaches, and we wish you the best. We will keep your, our eyes on you and we will have you back once you make it to the C-suite and have the conversation then. Thank you. And if I can, before I leave, I can give a plug out to Emerge Fellowship. Um, as I've mentioned to you, I, I am a mentor in the Emerge Fellowship uh, senior program, senior mentorship program that takes students through that last year of college as they're applying to college and then follows up with them. This is my second year with the program and it's been an amazing experience so far. For the, your listeners, if they are not in a mentorship program, especially now as they're getting ready to make a pivotal decision as to which college they're going to go to, uh, it is a very big decision to make. And I feel like having a good mentor, someone who's been through the process, is more than is very beneficial. So please reach out to to your network and, and find yourself a mentorship program, whether formal or informal, uh, because this is you know once you leave high school, you're 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 on your own but you don't have to be alone. <laughs> I love that. You're on your own, but you don't have to be alone. Um, so with that, we will go ahead and close this episode. Thank you so, so much. Thank you, Norma. Hope everybody has a good rest of their day. So that's it, folks. Thank you so, so much for joining us today. I hope that you thought this conversation was fruitful and informative in helping you distinguish what is the difference between a coach, a mentor, and a sponsor? And for you to also think about who do you need to be able to move to the next step of your career or your professional life or your personal life. Um, so with that, we will go ahead and wrap up. I also wanted to add here a note that this will be my last podcast. I have been with this podcast now for about two plus years, and it is time for me to retire and move on to other projects but with that, though, I just want to thank each and every one of you for being one of our very devoted listeners. We could not have done this project without you all. We hope that the stories continue to motivate and inspire the next generation of student leaders, student professionals, first gen all around. Um, so thank you. Thank you. Now the podcast will continue. You are all in great hands with our new and our former host. Um, so continue on listening, continue logging in. They will have some really interesting stories to wrap up the year. With that, I would like to thank you all and have an awesome journey ahead. <laughs>